Welcome back, dreamers. We're returning to Neverland this week with the 2002 sequel to Peter Pan, Return to Neverland. But before we get into the history, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what's happening on CertainPOV.com this week. On Fun and Games with Matt and Jeff, the boys have Bethesda community manager Manny Perez. And on Screen Snark, they have guest Nathan Brandy of the New Entertainment System podcast to talk about podcasts and My Hero Academia. Over on Reignite, our hosts wrap up Mass Effect 2 with their final mission and the arrival of DLC. And our new friends over at Let's Rewatch are joined by magician John Armstrong to discuss the 2000 film X-Men. Find all of our amazing program at certainpov.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to the show. Unlike most Disney movies that are covered on this podcast, there isn't a lot of information to share with you about the background on this picture. The 2002 film was released by Walt Disney Pictures through Buena Vista Features, but it was developed and created by Walt Disney Television Animation, or Disney Toon Studios, who was responsible for the Disney animated work for television, as well as the string of Disney animated sequels released straight to home video. Set in the heat of World War II London, the movie is inspired by the epilogue of Barry's book Peter and Wendy. Instead of Wendy, though, we meet her practical daughter Jane, who doesn't seem to have time for her mother's stories even after she is whisked away by Captain Hook and his pirates to Neverland. The production of this movie was based at Disney Animation Canada, which prior to its 2000 shutdown stopped work on the picture in roughly 1999, when it was moved to both Disney Studio Australia and Japan, with Cornerstone Animation being put at the helm for direction. It was eventually all sent back to Disney Movie Tunes, where it was prepped for future release. That's right, four different studios touched this little sequel. Catherine Beaumont, who you might remember is the original voice of Wendy, was brought back to play the role. But before the release, Kathy Soisi was brought in and replaced to all of Beaumont's lines. Student of the original Captain Hook actor Han Conrad, Corey Burton was tasked with bringing the iconic villain back to life. And since of the proximity to the original actor, he could do an almost perfect impersonation of Conrad's Hook. Like us here at Open Dreams, you may have noticed some missing and changed aspects to Neverland in the almost 50-year gap between the two movies. Most notably is the absence of the native people of Neverland, which the studio felt would be tone-deaf to leave them in as they were originally, and we here have to agree. Also, a small change was in the design of the mermaids, who suddenly gained bras to tone down the apparent sexual undertones that were present in the original film. Yeah, I know. Despite grossing $110 million in box office, it was a critical failure and was forgotten by fans by the time it released on home video just a few months later in August of 2002. It is important to note that this is only one of six Disney sequels to get motion picture releases. Can you guess the other five? We'll be right back after this with our guest, Hannah Katz. Hello, you wonderful human being. How do I know you're a wonderful human being? Well, if you're hearing this message, it means you're listening to a certain POV podcast, and that makes you awesome. Thanks for your support. This is Pat Edwards from the Let's Rewatch podcast. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm an author. My latest project is a new fifth edition D&D campaign book called The Red Opera. Inspired from the musical album and stage show of the same name, the Red Opera sends you on a twisting saga through dark and dangerous city teeming with intrigue, magic, death, and betrayal. And warlocks, 
book is lousy with warlocks and all the mischief that comes with them. <laughs> so here's what I need from you, you delightful slice of podcast listener cake. Go to the pre-launch page on Kickstarter and simply enter your email to follow the project. You're not committing to anything. You're just saying you'd like an email notification when the Kickstarter goes live. And then you can browse the truly outstanding reward tiers we've added to decide if you'd like to support the project. To find the pre-launch page, you can either go to theredopera.com or if you go to my Twitter handle at thepatedwards, my current pinned tweet has a link. Again, thank you so much, you beautiful spoonful of human sugar. Love, Pat. Welcome back, dreamers. We have a magical guest with us today. She's a good <laughs> Judy of mine who is... I, I don't even know if it's more passionate about Disney than I am. I have Hannah Katz with me today. Hannah, <laughs> welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Uh. I've been so excited to get you on the show. Uh, I've been begging you for a while, and we finally are able to do it. Yay. Small um, blessings from quarantine. Small blessings from <laughs> quarantine. Also, like, I don't think you guys realize how you only have the early episodes of the show because of Hannah. Uh, she was my Aww. editor for the first few episodes. It was a huge help. And uh, we all need that friend who can be brutally honest with us, and that Hannah is that friend for me. So, Hannah, why don't you tell <laughs> the audience at home a little bit about yourself and what role Disney has played into your life up to now. Sure. Um, so I'm a Florida kid and I feel like that's so important to start with mm -hmm. when I talk about Disney. Um, so for me, like Disney is as much about the movies as the parks. And, you know, I never had an annual pass in my life. Um, my mom was like always taking me on those Florida resident deals back when you could go to the parks for like four days for ninety nine dollars. Yeah, God bless. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, and then as I grew older, like Disney just kept sticking in my life, um, mm -hmm. the parks wise. And then you know I've had friends who work there now and stuff, and I'm really lucky that like uh, at one point I've been living in Tokyo for a year, so I've done Tokyo mm -hmm. Disney, which was like awesome and. I got to go to Shanghai Disney for one day, which was really cool, too. Um, and then in, like, my regular life, I mean, I was a kid and I had red hair. So Ariel was my whole existence for, like, a good year of my life. Um, and I loved all of the movies. I still have my VHSs. Um, my mom recently moved houses and I advocated very hard to keep my original, like, TV with the VHS inside. And I still have it in my room in her new house now and like all of my VHSs um, yeah so I think like um I've watched there are certain Disney movies that I don't know how the color has not leached out of the tape um <laughs> <laughs> and like between that and like Sound of Music and Mary Poppins and um it's so, like Hercules Hunchback this movie Return to Neverland which is like such an unlikely candidate but very watched on my VHS yeah, <laughs> yeah I and there's a few others yeah, I love that you brought this one up to me because when you were like, okay, I'm back, we can do this now, I fuck up, we can do it. And you brought this one to me and I went, oh my God. Because <laughs> one, Disney sequels for a long time have gotten the shittest rap. Also, because through the Renaissance, all the Disney sequels were a straight to VHS 
mm-hmm. bucket for new money. Like they just wanted money to be thrown at them. And while those are, uh, you know, Aladdin, all three of the Aladdin movies, Bop, uh, the Lion King movies, oddly <laughs> all also are great. Um, you know, and we were talking about TV series for a lot of them and things. This mm-hmm. was coming out. This was just after Disney Renaissance. Like this was greenlit in the Disney yeah. Renaissance. So, like, at the end, and so it's really interesting that we're talking about this, and literally last week's episode was on Peter Pan, and I recorded that one, I recorded that one months ago, and so this one, we're working in, because it's the first sequel we're talking about, but I think this is an effective sequel of Disney revisiting um, some of their most iconic material in a way that they were looking at, how do we honor it, how do we make it look like the original yeah. But utilize what was then making Disney great because the Renaissance, Disney had always been big. And Disney yeah. had also faltered many times. They almost closed in the 80s. It was just a thing. Um, and so for this to return to that in a way, because um, we'd had Rescuers Down Under, uh, which Definitely. did not do well. Um, but is a wonderful movie. Uh, we've done, you know, that episode on it. Um, but yeah, you know, I think this, I did. I edited that episode. You did. Too. You did. Actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so what is interesting about this one is it was a financial success, um, but it wasn't a critical success. But I remember mm-hmm. seeing it and adoring it. Um, mm-hmm. So let's launch in. Um, Do so, it. so Peter Pan is an iconic character, problematic and non-problematic itself as a character and itself as a property. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, people hold on to him, but he's an icon. Um, I love the first yeah. couple days that the parks were closed, um, even though it's a, we're recording this in quarantine. We're about three weeks in at this point. We're all itching. Yeah, but, sure. Yeah, but, we're, uh, we're on April 5th, so it's yeah. a really weird time where a lot of Disney employees that are non-union have finally been furloughed, um, for better or worse, and we're seeing, like, truly no employees on property anymore, yeah. pretty much at this point. But, like, in the beginning, we were still making memes, it was funny, it was a mm-hmm. joke, everybody thought it would be a couple weeks, and that those first couple days, the joke was, the parks are closed, but Peter Pan's flight still has a 75-minute wait. Um, Which is my favorite <laughs> joke. It's my favorite joke, well, honestly. And it came from, I didn't realize it came from, there was a glitch in the My Disney Experience app, because of course, why wouldn't there be? It's the My Disney Experience app. Um, and so, but I, you know, I think it's funny, but I think that is actually a testament to this property and, mm-hmm. um, and why Peter Pan works. I mean, we've had the musical, which is not a Disney property at all. No. Um, we have the novels, we've had Peter and the Starcatcher on Broadway, which is tangentially Disney because they produced it. Um, we yes. have all these things. A Peter Pan has never left a pop culture lexicon ever. It no. is always present. Whether it's the idea of just the idea of him, Tinkerbell has come to represent several generation of bad bitches. And like you know, it's <laughs> you know, it's she. I say Tinkerbell release replaced Tweety Bird. For a lot of women, because Tweety yeah. was on oh. everything in the '90s, and whether you like Looney Tunes or not, you had you had that Tweety Bird shirt, you had the Tweety Bird yep. jeans, you had the Tweety Bird hat, and Tinkerbell. Yeah, so I think Tinkerbell replaced that, and she is still one of the longest wait times for a meet and greet on property. So, mm-hmm. um, why do you think? Well, the, I was just yeah, 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 old yeah. enough to catch that. Like, um, there was like a beautiful. So I, I think I was like maybe too old, but I read them anyway. There was this beautiful novelization of Tinkerbell that my, I think my mom or my mm-hmm. grandma got for me because the art in on the cover was just like 
gorgeous. Mm-hmm. They're like these thick books. I should have looked this up before we started. But like I, oh, I can still think about them. And they later became like the foundation for that. Like um, I think it was like Disney Junior or whatever they're calling it now. Yeah, the Fairies of Neverland movies. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I had the books before that came out because like someone bought me them for the illustrations, and mm-hmm. I, I'm like ninety nine percent sure I read them. Also, it's been a few years, but. I think um, no matter what, like the lexicon of her has always been in there. And so you're either getting like, I think also, so Disney has this thing that they like to do where they like to, in the past at least, market to boys or girls. Yes. Um, Very recently, it's been both, but in like previous decades, it was definitely boys or girls. And so because you had Tink and Peter, it was, I think, one of their first really successful, like, oh, the boys can go right next to the girls. And, like, mm-hmm. we can market to both um, mm-hmm. without marketing to both. So I think yeah. that's part of the reason why they've become, like, Disney character icons, potentially. I, I, I also think it's this idea of adulthood is really shitty, especially, <laughs> in kind of our, especially in our, like, terrible capitalist society. And so it's one of those things, that, you know, that for better or worse, Disney is part of, but, like, I'm also going to let the magic speak before the money speaks because uh, that's just me. I need it. Uh, but, you know, it's oh that gosh. idea of Peter doesn't grow up. But what happens mm. is as we get older we can see the faults in not growing up. And so while we can have this Mm -hmm. icon of reminding ourselves to be childlike, because that's something that I'm going to bring up with Wendy in the second movie that is really important, that we also suddenly understand Captain Hook a little bit more as we get older. Uh, Mm -hmm. Foppish gay icon, Captain Hook. Um, uh, (laughs) (laughs) What a sentence. Foppish gay icon, Captain Hook. Um, And, you know, so it's one of those things that I think while we then grow away from idolizing Peter, uh, I'm going to leave gay culture as a separate part of that because that is yeah. something very We could different. do a whole episode we could do on a whole, queer um, villains. Uh, well, queer, queer villains, villains. Well, queer quoted villains, but also the idea of like the Peter Pan's um, syndrome or what is it? Peter Pan. Yeah. Peter Pan syndrome and how it, especially with gay men it presents. Um, but with this, um, I think we can look at that youthfulness of Peter and the imagination and those things of like, what and it's to me it is the center of Disney magic and it's the center of adults who love Disney what we love about it and it's even though we know how the magic yeah. works at that point we see behind the magic we still love it um yeah I would totally argue that um part of the experience of Disney as an adult is nostalgia right but also mm-hmm. part of it is that you don't have to be nostalgic Mm-hmm. Um, like they always like whenever they're looking for volunteers at a show there's always like one volunteer who's a kid of course because like you want like I'm thinking of specifically of um, Festival of the Lion King in Animal oh, Kingdom yeah, for yeah, yeah, theme yeah. park humans out there um, so there's like four sections of the show and like I think two of them are always kids mm-hmm. and two of them are always adults and part of the joke is that like they make the adult man who's like the most mask butch human dad that they can find do something silly and we all get this giggle out of that but then part of it is also that like oh you are treated the same as a kid in a Mm -hmm. way where you are not you get to be like a little free little irresponsible um and they really hope you're responsible so you buy more merchandise (laughs) being real 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's why the pass holders exist. It's because they know people are going to buy things over and over again. But I also yeah. think, yeah, it's that equalizer of age of why you can also... I love seeing grandparents being really goofy with grandkids or great-grandkids because so it's like... Especially for the grandparents because some of them, like my... My parents have always lived in a world where Disney has ex- Disney properties existed because my dad was born in '54, mm-hmm. my mom was born in '55, and so they've all, Disney's always been present on the television, and so I think a lot of that is the magic of why we keep coming back to stories like Peter Pan and why they're mm-hmm. still relevant, um, and so I think it was interesting in. And timely that in a world who is months out, like a year out of 9-11, like we have just had Mm -hmm. 9-11 happen for people in the U.S., um, even though that was a huge international moment for a lot of things, to have this moment set in World War II that um, uh, putting a world where... Um, we suddenly meet Wendy's daughter, Jane, who is pragmatic. Mm -hmm. She is sensible. She is realist because she, you know, she is a child of World War One and is now living through World War II. Like she was born in the the, the wake of World War I. And so she has only known a country recovering from war and then going back into war. And then to have Wendy as this like adult who wants her children to have this magic because at the end of the day, it is also keeping them entertained and like safe in a family during a wartime when they are, their family could be ripped apart at any point, which they are about to be. Uh, that's okay. the whole premise for, I recommend anyone who has not watched this movie. It is on Disney plus pause us right here. No, it's okay. Yeah. We can wait. We'll wait. I will wait. And Thanks. then go watch it. Go watch it. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Okay, great. I'm glad you liked it. You I hope back. you liked it. Yeah, you better have liked it. You back. Thanks. I hope you brought some popcorn for everyone. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's this moment of uh, that they're on the night before that uh, Jane and her brother Danny are about to be taken away uh, to mm-hmm. go live out on a farm where most kids, this is the Narnia thing. This is, you know, the Pevensies mm-hmm. get taken away. This is um, those yeah, moments. Yeah, it's very but, of that time. And... Uh, and it, there's something, I got to tell you, I saw this in theaters, and then I don't think I watched it again until you and I were talking about it, and I watched it about a week ago for us to, to film. And that Love moment, it. And that moment when it's, you know, the bombers are happening, it's the night before, um, mm-hmm. and then the ship bursts forth over the home. Yeah. And it is, it's such a good moment. So, um, Hannah, I'm going to walk us through a little bit about why you picked this movie. About why this one picked for you. So um, there are a few reasons why I picked this movie. So the the movies I was gonna offer because I only offered this one, and while I was like deciding the like finalizing my decisions, were like this one, and I was like, great, this is I love this one. Um, Where because uh, so Matt was like very kind and is generously sharing his Disney Plus with me, and this popped up, and I was like, yeah. Um, But my choices were Return to Neverland. Um, they were going to be this, Meet the Robinsons, because that's my other underrated Disney bop. Um, so good. And, yeah, and you had already done Hercules, so I was thinking about maybe doing Hunchback, but then I was, like, 99% sure you had done that. Um, 
which I'm not sure if you no. have released. Yeah, we haven't. That. We ha uh, no, we haven't done. <laughs> nobody's. We haven't recorded Hunchback yet. I've record. We've released Hercules, but not. No one's even yeah. come to me for Hunchback yet. So yeah. Well, because I was like, I knew that we had talked about you potentially doing it at another time, and I wasn't sure. Because Matt and I probably, even before quarantine, we probably talked every other day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's oh, gotten yeah. worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I can't remember what's planned and what's like, it's done. It's so true. Um, it's so true. I also talked yeah, a lot. So so. It was great. I love it. Those were friends. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, those were like my choices because I also um, want to be a special snowflake and pick something that not everybody will pick. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Slash, I know that this show has like a lot of potential to go on for a while. So I wanted to pick something mm -hmm. that like maybe um, people who are not as insane as me would pick, <laughs> you know? Uh, so that's part of the reason. Um, but looking back at this movie, I'm really glad I picked it because um, it has this thing that I think is so funny um having just watched like frozen 2 um, the mm -hmm. other day which is okay so specifically it made it made me remember because you were talking about like so we go through world war one is happening and then the pirate ship bursts on and if you watch it i love it so much but you can definitely tell that this is like we are using a new animation technique yes. right um so we've gone from this super 2d style hand-drawn looking style to like what looks like almost a 3D model bursting onto the screen. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it made me think of Frozen 2 the other day because I saw Frozen 2 in theaters twice because I was like so enamored slash I was living in Japan, so I saw it in Japanese once because I was like, when will I get this opportunity? But I was thinking about um, the scene, Frozen 2, spoiler alert, coming on, <laughs> um, where uh, they're about to smush Arendelle with the wave and it looks so real. It looks um, so. Re it looks like it was filmed, like in real I, life and superimposed. It is. It was dramatic. It is so good. It's the. It literally. Ha every time I watch it, even when I watched it on my laptop screen, it takes my breath away, and it made me realize that, like, oh, this is probably what this moment felt like, mm -hmm. right? Like I look back at all these old movies that I remember thinking were so realistic, and now they look so not like. And this is, I imagine, though, what that felt like when that 3D pirate ship really, like, busts onto that screen. Um, so I think I'm glad I chose it because it's a really interesting point in animation for this studio. Like, I know that you mentioned it's very much a callback to the old Peter Pan, which it is. Um, there's a lot of... So the book is... The other reason I think this sequel does so well is because it's actually based on a real book that Barry wrote, right? This is not, like, mm -hmm. an invention the way that some of the other Disney sequels are. Mm -hmm. And I also believe this one was not animated at Disney Toon Studios. Um, so for people who are not insane, um, Walt Disney has many studios that they run, um, and Disney Toon is uh, kind of where a lot of the sequels get animated through. And I, I don't think this one was animated at Disney Toon. Um, and... Yeah, go out, do it. So you're good. So it started at Disney Toon, um, which oh, okay. Disney Disney Toon also doesn't always do bad work. Like Goofy movie, no, came no, out of, and and so, but like those are also not typically considered as part of the normal canon of movies, which I have a problem with. But like here we are. But what Same. happened was. Because um, there's a bop of a song in Mulan 2 that if you don't think that Disney Toon is good, then we're going to fight. <laughs> so this movie originally started under the name Peter and Jane because it's based on the book Peter and Wendy. Um, and it was being done through 
tune Disney movie Disney movie tunes slash Disney movie premiere, which is what they had become, and it was okay. being done at Disney Animation Canada. They had bought an animation studio in Canada, Whoa. and they were doing this. But then the Canadian uh, studio shut down. They they closed it and moved it, split it between Disney Animation Australia, Disney Animation Japan, and that's how this oh movie gosh. came together. And so I this movie, and this movie was actually supposed to come out in fall of ninety or like in ninety nine two thousand. Um, and so, um, uh, so, but it ended up, it ended up stopping at Cornerstone Animation, um, which is who did the animation direction, um, and then it moved back eventually to a Toon Disney release. Wow. So oh my God. It, it what almost a didn't happen. Didn't almost, it almost didn't happen. It shut down several times. It moved. And so you, we're lucky this movie, I think, even looks as cohesive as it does. I was just going to say, um, God bless character sheets. So mm-hmm. also, if you're not insane, um, usually a character sheet is given per character and it's a character drawn in a, drawn in a few consistent poses mm-hmm. slash angles. Um, and this is just because like when you're hand drawing, obviously different people have different styles. Mm-hmm. And so this helps um, artists kind of capture whatever the lead animator decides this person looks like, even though mm-hmm. it's not them drawing every single frame. Right. Yeah, it was, it's like amazing because this movie does look a little different at some mm-hmm. points. Looking back, not going to lie. Um, yeah. But it's remarkable. Like you said, it's pretty dang similar for having been touched by, I think you said four or five different studio names. Yeah, well, and especially like Peter and Hook and Tink look yeah. They look like just a newer version of their original. They look a little flatter, and Jane looks a little more three dimensional. She looks more a little mm-hmm. realized because she also has different proportions than Wendy was. Wendy was typical 1950s proportions, late 40s mm-hmm. proportions, and Jane is very late 90s proportions in the shape of her head in the shape of the body and like how so they're just an update because they were using contemporary girls as reference for jane versus using 1950s girls for jane because it also didn't really fit with her aesthetic well she's a she's a spunky 90 girl if i ever saw one oh (laughs) she is the that's the thing is there are certain things while i love this movie there are some imperfect things that come from when this movie was made and uh some of the bad habits disney had in filmmaking at this time and so while they're not bad things yeah so we'll we'll get to those as we kind of uh pick this apart but i think there's uh, it's another one where I revisit and go, God, there is so much good to talk about with this movie that anything that I that is the quote unquote bad. And when I say bad, it's just I'm being nitpicky because <laughs> I have made a life of watching Disney movies. And it's like I rewatched Onward last night. And while I loved it just as much as it for the first time, I found a couple things that I went, oh, uh, uh, uh. OK, it's still fine because uh, I still love it. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that. A lot of my issues that uh, that I think we'll talk about in a little bit all come from Disney making this when Disney feels uh, unshakable, if you will. Um, Okay. And they've got a lot of money. So, you know, despite there being trouble inside of the kingdom from the outside, the kingdom was growing in a very eisnerish and gilded way uh animal kingdom had just opened um you know there were there were just lots of things that were yeah there were just lots of things that were happening company-wide that while we knew there was money issues they were 
they were doing more than most people in their realm of existence. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of good things. So what are some things, Hannah, whether it's story-wise or just things about this movie that really stand out for you as like an exemplary film? Yeah, so um, maybe this is not really, I don't know if this counts, but what really rocketed me back more than anything watching this movie was the beautiful covers that happen of like where she's like gently singing Faith and Trust and Pixie Dust mm -hmm. while like the the I forget the artist name and I looked it up specifically before this, but it the music that is scoring this film mm -hmm. is great. Um, there is like you know every Disney movie has like that one uh, song that the characters sing, which is like a really fun one in this. But the it's not it's not as beautiful as this like score that they've brought in to yeah. do that, which is just like heartbreakingly like. And I think it perfectly, like, explains Jane also. Like, mm -hmm. I wish that I could, like, play this for everybody. But it's, like, very, like, adult but childhoody at the same time, which is, I, I would, you know, that's the central conflict of the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably a number one thing for me. Um, I also love, um, this movie does a good job of, so be the I watched this movie after watching Peter Pan because I knew we were probably going to talk about both. Mm -hmm. um, but this was like a week or two ago, so I'm going to have some things wrong. But I think it does a very good job of invoking the visual language of the mm -hmm. first one without mm -hmm. totally copying it. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, the most obvious example is that they're both like Wendy and Jane are both in nightgowns, but one's in a blue mm -hmm. nightgown and one's mm -hmm. in a purple nightgown, and they do look different. Mm -hmm. um, and like Wendy's costume is still blue but it mm -hmm. doesn't feel like oh she's still in the same dress um mm -hmm. so i think this movie does a lot of good visual storytelling um for example the little baby lost boy and mm -hmm. danny um you know they feel we as an audience even as a kid okay kids understand symbolism i'm not trying to say they don't but even as a kid i very clearly understood this connection um mm -hmm. that these two small humans are holding a similar place in her heart and things like this. Um, and I think also it does like a really good job of like kids who want to be grown up, which was also me. <laughs> um, they have a very interesting view of what grown up is. Um, and I think that movie, this movie does it really well. So I would say that those kind of three things, that music, which I love, the um, similar like invoking of imagery throughout the film mm -hmm. and then like what kids think a grown-up is um, are like my three favorite parts of this movie yeah i think i think for me oh something that i did notice is the score was the first thing of one it's very grand in a way that the renaissance films had a very a very grand mm -hmm. score because the thing about the kind of gold silver uh age disney films they have a very score of their time and it sounds like their time. And I think the oh, score so good. and they're beautiful. And there's, and the thing about Peter Pan is while it feels like a musical, it was not a musical at no point was it a musical, but it had those big fifties choirs singing behind them. The studio, they, yeah. they felt like an MGM era musical. Um, because this yeah, is that, when it that was being is made. true. And so, but this, I feel like they tried to capture some of those moments. But for me, that's where, where I was going to talk about the pop songs that come in here. 
detract from that just a little because I'm just like, all right, thanks, BB Mac. We got a boy band singing <laughs> a song here. But like they were utilizing the music of the time that pe- that was going to sell a soundtrack because this is when Disney had really gotten into home home music, like people buying albums to like re-listen to. And so, but I love the instrumental score of this. I think it's really nice. And I love that every important song from the original film had a new version of it in this that didn't feel like a cover it felt like mm-hmm. an evolution of that original song. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, I never felt like, you know, um, what is it? I I love it, personally. I was, like, mm-hmm. still Disney Channel-aged when Ashley Tisdale came out and did her cover of Little Mermaid stuff, and it was, like, the, the good old music videos that used to play between the shows. And those are bops, but they're not... They're not, like, um, necessarily telling the story in a new way. But you're, like, getting the fun of the music, which is a good and valuable thing in a different way. And this doesn't feel like that. Like you said, it's totally an evolution for story purposes. Yeah. And I think something with the original version of Captain Hook, you kind of understood that he understood his place in this grand scheme of this magical world where he and Peter have to eternally fight. (laughs) <laughs> and that is something that will always happen. And that we had the the natives that were like this other third party that existed. And we had the mermaids mm-hmm. that existed. But it was this eternal conflict that would always be between Peter Pan and Captain Hook. Which is why mm-hmm. it made sense that they came to take Wendy. Because like, this is just a war game. It's a game between them. No one's mm-hmm. truly hurt, which is, but which is where like Hook's obsession comes from. Because, you know, he lost his hand and this whole idea that the there's one thing that I don't love, but it's kooky and catchy and we'll get to it. But it's it all feels like a war game. But in this this version, we like even though we know time isn't really passing in Neverland because that's Neverland. That's just a, mm-hmm. a thing that exists. Captain Hook's getting tired. You can tell he is wearing down. He yeah. is. He's getting weary. Like, he's that, like, what happens when you're an adult that stops aging, but, like, you have the older soul who is kind of have weariness where a child's soul gets tired, but they don't get weary. And mm-hmm. so Hook feels a little more like a, feels more like a Renaissance villain in ways in this movie because he's starting to be devilish, like, dangerously yeah, underhanded. Ruthless, for sure. He's way more ruthless in this, and the pirates feel a little scarier, and even though they're all a little jovial still, and you still love Smee, there is an actual danger that feels present to, to Hook in this one, which I actually like, because the world has evolved, and so they've evolved some of these characters, but Peter Pan has not changed at all, and I actually think that's a really important storytelling thing. Um mm-hmm with this one and, and well I, I do feel like baby Peter's been watered down a little bit in this one I have to say um and I think that's for two main reasons one is that we were way more tolerant as an audience of like e- evilness in our kid mm-hmm. characters mm-hmm. um before um like I think one of the most famous shots which I just was like I had no idea where it came from until I watched the original or rewatch the original was like it's like that one where his face is basically black and you can just see his eyes and then there's like ching next to him and he looks creepy as heck yeah. um and like peter pan from return to neverland would never be allowed to look like that like yeah. he has to look young and angelic and then the other reason i think that he's a little more watered down is peter pan is very much <laughs> obviously the story of peter pan or mm-hmm. i would say like return to neverland is the story of jane yeah. Um, so just we get less 
we it's not him anymore. That's mm-hmm. why it's not called Peter Pan Return to Neverland. It's called mm-hmm. Return to Neverland. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I will agree with you because this is definitely Jane's story because it's about Jane because Peter would have never come looking for her. Cause like, it's also obvious Peter stopped coming to the house oh, at some yeah. point. Like that's the thing is like hook goes and finds Wendy, which I'm like, how did he find Wendy? But I, I, we're, <laughs> we're not going to pick that apart. But that idea that like Peter has stopped, even though he obviously is still affectionate of Wendy, he isn't, and he still care like cares in his boyishness. He remembers her in the same way that like a boy remembers something that's happening, which is not well. And so, you know, it's that thing of, he obviously stopped coming to the house at some point. He, he, because, you know, which we saw in, is it in the original film that we see her older at the very end? No, we don't. Cause we see, we just see her and her mom who, by the way, I think has, Oh, this might be wrong, but I think has the color that Jane later gets, which is yes. an interesting thing. Jane's, Jane's style is also similar to her mother's, but also in a costume history kind of way. It's just what women were wearing at the time as oh, well. Oh, cool. So, okay. But it cool, is cool, in cool. the same color that Mrs. Darling was. Like, she has yeah. the same feeling of Mrs. Darling, but still keeping that quintessential youthfulness that Jane didn't lose, or um, Wendy didn't lose, which is important to her character. It is so mm-hmm. important. But she even holds on to Peter in a way that Peter didn't hold on to her. Um, and Peter suddenly much more, uh, he's interested in Jane the same way that he was interested in Wendy. And so it's just this idea of this other, this challenging other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's also a really interesting, subtle change in like how women viewed themselves and women viewed their roles, because this is coming out of like women working in the eighties and nineties and being like executives. And so like Jane goes in with this new sensibility of like, no, I'm not going to be your mom back the fuck up. That's not what I'm here for. That's not what this is about. Um, and that it's only when that her like sensibility that the one child looks like Danny is like, triggered of this thing. And that she, cause like Wendy would never have taken up even any sort of thing with Captain Hook. She would have never agreed to help him. Like, yeah, anyway. she would have very much put her nose in her hand. And jo- yeah, and Joan is a jo- Joan. Jane is very pragmatic in that way. She's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get to go home. This is just something that's gonna happen. It's part of this game. This is gonna continue to happen. It's fine. Nobody's gonna get hurt." Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's important that um, yeah. And so I think a lot of those are what stuck and felt good and felt. There's so much nostalgia in this film. Um, the fact that they animated the mermaids in the same way, with the exception of they all have they all have boosties this time. They have bras because they have bras this it was time. very scandalous. This is like I did like two minutes of research a while, like two weeks ago, when I thought we were first recording, and they, this was like the very scandalous thing. Yeah, <laughs> this made me laugh so much. <laughs> Which is so interesting, considering this is like when Britney Spears is making videos, but it's also like after Million Moms has started, and we had just had the Southern oh. Baptist, we had had the Southern Baptist Convention's boycott of Disney because of Gay Days and what they called the Dark Days of Disney, which has a different connotation as now. But they were discussing Pocahontas, Hercules, and uh, oh. and um, uh, Hunchback. Uh, you know, yeah, America uh, has some difficult problems with letting people who are not white on screen, huh? That's oh, really yeah. what it seems like. Well, and so <laughs> we'll we'll also talk about that because there's an important, there is a large 
there is something big missing from this that was in the original. But yeah, I'm, we don't get any Native Americans, and the only don't. hint of them we get is at the very beginning in one of my favorite animated sequences from a beauty standpoint. Um, yeah. Tinkerbell flies through the clouds, and we get this shadow figure of a lot of the characters from the first movie who yeah. we are not going to see in this movie mm-hmm. largely. I think it's a really great way to address that this movie has a larger past while still because now there are new kids in the movie theater who maybe have seen peter pan maybe have not seen peter pan maybe are young enough that if they haven't watched the movie 400 times they know that this character exists but they don't really remember anything about it um so it's a really good way to both be like ah yes it's there and then not make you be like oh are they coming the whole movie because mm-hmm. John and Michael are also not in this movie, which is, like, not as important as, right. you know, not portraying Americans or Native Americans as humans and not characters. Right. But well, it's, if, like, another thing we could notice. I think it's because we probably expect John and Michael both are like, oh, Wendy, that thing never happened. We didn't go. It's fine. Don't be weird. Because um, then I think it would become the conflict of Wendy, Michael, and John, and it's about Jane. And so, but mm-hmm. um, that we do see a few times we see the TPs in large shots and wide shots. But we don't see them. Yeah, there are, there are two shots. Um, but this is the same time when Tarzan was coming out, and so Tarzan, mm. they made they made the decision to remove all African characters from Tarzan because they they were addressing that Disney had a past with a racist legacy and that their source material was also heavily racist. Ooh, and so yeah. it was just better not to. And so I'm assuming that a lot of that happened with this as well because J.M. Barry also heavily racist legacy with the native characters that are in the novel. But what I think something is really important that they left, that they finally put in, which I believe is in the first book. I'm guilty that I've never actually read the Peter Pan books. I read Peter and the Starcatcher, which was much later, and used J.M. Barry's like unpublished works. Um, but oh, I didn't know it did that. Yeah, because it's credited as J.M. Barry and the writer of Peter and the Starcatcher. I'm not sure why. I believe it's based on unpublished manuscripts. Not sure. Hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I've never read the original, but something, and it's in the musical, um, uh, because it's one of those odd, weird audience interaction moments of the, I believe in fairies moment, which is we see, oh, Jane, yeah. we see Jane go, I don't even believe in fairies. And it's one of those things of like, Tinkerbell's right in front of you. How do you not believe? And then we see Tinkerbell <laughs> like slowly dying throughout the movie until Jane has to go. I believe in fairies. I do. And I remember the movie theater was packed when we saw this movie and everybody just started yelling. I believe in fairies. It was a really nice moment. I cried as like a 16 year, 17 year old boy. So nice. Yeah. Like it's one of those things that was like, that was a nice moment of recapturing it's one of those magical moments that I think is so on brand for Disney it's on brand for like Peter Pan as a Disney and non-Disney property Um, and so I think um, yeah you know I I think it's that that was a nice moment that they chose to put in but I also think that's that turning point for Jane of when she fully embraces that she has been refuting what's been in front of her the whole time. Like, she's been questioning the validity... Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Like, she's been questioning the validity of magic and, like, this world that she is literally witnessing happen 
in front of her this whole time to finally we then see her, you know, after Peter, who kind of quickly is like, you're dead to me. Canceled. Jane's canceled. Um, oh, but, yeah, I guess she, he, cuts, he does kind of cut that quick. Oh, and it's he? real quick. But like, also, I would be really mad if, if uh, Captain Hook was like, thank you for leading us, my dear. Mm. And Peter Pan's like, crap. I hate you. Can't trust girls. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to then have her show up on the, the you know, in the crow's nest, which is that spot where we first see Peter Pan in the original movie when he comes to see Wendy and the Lost Boys. So, you know, it's, it's, that, mm-hmm. it's there's a little of that duality moment there that I think um, it's evident the filmmakers of this were holding the original property very close to them. Um, yeah. In a way that is... Um, Really, it's really nice, and in a way that like we don't always see when people make sequels. Also, because now the name of the game is franchising, not making a good story just to make that's a good so story. true. And so, but I think this is one where they went, you know what, we're probably not going to make another one, so let's just make this a really important movie as well. And it'll, it'll add into that mm-hmm. canon, but we're not going to have to build something else of it, which they've ah, uh, they've made a franchise out of this, but more in the fairies than just this. Um, yeah. But and I also think moments. that the great... Oh, absolutely. And I also think one of the great things is that, like, and even J.M. Barry does this, right? Like, uh, the reason we get to... Uh, I think in the original book, even Wendy's granddaughter is, like, mentioned by name. Because, like, you know, he can come back as much as you want, and he's mm-hmm. still the same guy. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, he's, like, he's got the same character. Like, we can throw anything at him, and we get to see how this person we already like is gonna do it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things that, like, it was an easy sell because people liked Peter Pan. And so I think having him in this movie was the selling point. Because I remember the poster was super simple. It was Peter and Jane back to back with a duo colored background. And that was the poster. Or it was the poster was his shadow. Like, they, they was real simple, real effective marketing that people went, well, we can take the kids to see another Peter Pan movie. This is fine. And then, mm-hmm. then the next year, the live-action Peter Pan with Jason Isaacs as Captain Hook came out, and um, with Jeremy Sumter's. Oh Peter my God, Pan. that was the next year. It was literally the next year, and so it was one of those that, like, and and Hook had been probably six years before this, six or eight years before this, and so we continually kind of have Peter Pan things popping up, and people will always go see them because they know they know what the Peter Pan story is. Like when, for better or worse, when NBC did Peter Pan Live, people were going to watch it because they know Peter Pan. Like it's yeah. something they know. Um, and so I, you know. It also I, does wonder really well, right? Mm-hmm. Like this show is, well, show, this movie and character and series and concept are very much like good at everybody likes the first time that you fly, right? That's why it's such a big part of both movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and it's it's also interesting because Disney had also just made Cinderella 2, like that came out the year before this, straight to DVD, straight to VHS. Mm-hmm. And so I have that VHS too. <laughs> and so it's it's interesting that we're seeing these moments of that they're able to revisit these classic storybooks mm-hmm. in a way that will sell them, but there aren't particularly good people aren't. In love with it because, like, uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, this is, like, a 
50% roughly with people. It's got like a okay. 5.8 on, it's got like a 5.8 on IMDb, um, which I can, I guess I can understand. I do also find that Disney fans are particularly critical in ways that fans of other <laughs> things aren't. I'm going to leave that there. I'm not calling anybody out, but, um, you know, it's one of those things mm-hmm. that, you know, and this is the, the same time we've got 101 Dalmatians 2 coming out to DVD. Tarzan was, a, uh, Tarzan 2 well, was coming is... out. Lady and the Tramp was just coming out. To Lady and the Tramp 2. So Disney was capitalizing mm. on these classic, these classic stories um, and how they could sell them to a new set of kids because people had money. They were coming out of like the 90s peak in the economy and all these things. So I'm wondering if this was just part of that to capture all of that nostalgia. And this was the one that made it to cinema. Well, this is so interesting too, which is like something I never thought about. Cause I have Cinderella two and Tarzan two on VHS also. Um, and they are sequels that are not really sequels. Um, mm-hmm. so they are four episodes of a TV show stacked together. Right. Um, so if you, uh, I think there was like, uh, did Little Mermaid have a TV show? Is that who I'm in, thinking of? In the 90s, Little Mermaid, Hercules, Aladdin, and Tarzan all had TV shows. Yeah, so their sequels are actually, I think, test testing for that or mm-hmm. some kind of version of that. Because um, if you said that Tarzan had one, though, that's really interesting, too. Um, versus, uh, like, a... Neverland got... Peter Pan got one. Uh, Lady and the Tramps and Lion Kings are, like proper actual sequels as opposed to for tv shows um put together in a sequel package um so that's really different um and interesting and i kind of wonder why and also like you mentioned this has theatrical release which is so different so yeah that's that's crazy i think home video was at a peak at this point also we were getting into dvd and if you can push out property on and show that you're supporting a new technology like um, oh, what do they call it? Platform. Mm, um, that's true. Because I learned yesterday watching um, Defunct Land that Disney fought against home movies <gasps> for them. a long time. Yeah, shout out to Defunct Land and Yesterworld. They are just, and especially now that Defunct Land is doing their TV series, it's br- like it's so good. And so <gasps> this one, this one is particularly I, about how yeah. Disney Disney felt that they didn't want people to be able to watch movies at home that because they were doing that like re-release in cinemas every five to 10 years of original movies, which is why you've got movies like Snow White that's made as much money as it has or Mary Poppins or Cinderella because it was being re-released every five to 10 years in theaters and people were going to see it. Cause like, you know, people who then suddenly had kids could then go take their kids or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's this thing. And so they actually took Sony to court for Betamax and VHS and lost. And then, and then almost (gasps) immediately, and then they almost immediately released six classic Disney animated shorts on VHS. Um, and then quickly, uh, got the Disney channel and all of these things they started doing because they, they bought into it. Um, 
But, I did not know any of this. Yeah, it, but that's so crazy. It's so crazy, but I didn't realize that they had a group of movies called The Untouchables. And this was how they formed the Disney vault was things would come out of the vault to go back into movie theaters. And so Mm -hmm. Peter Pan was one of the movies that was one of the untouchables that was supposed to never see VHS release. And it did in the it did in the nineties. So this was prior. This was just before Michael Eisner came in, like probably six okay. years before Michael Eisner, and so five years because he was like eighty nine. Uh, yeah, maybe you know that is Song yeah. of the South on that list. Is Song of guess. the South is on a different list for different reasons. <laughs> Great, um, <laughs> which I um, I recommend it not be on anybody's list of anything. So yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, I might get to that one one day. We might do an episode on that one. I don't know. We'll see. I probably um, will, I'm, I probably will elect to not work for the company at that point if I do that episode. Yeah. Um, I think um, that Splash Mountain will never leave the parks. So I think that that will be in the vocabulary of people who talk about Disney. Um, and also, uh, we've talked about this before, but I think it's WB has Bugs Bunny, right? Yes. Um, Warner Brothers, yeah. So, yeah, so Warner Brothers does a little disclaimer um, on their old shorts that they stream or that you can find on the internet, um, which talks about the racial insensitivity in them. So it's really which, interesting that, yeah. Disney, Disney, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Disney actually no, did for the Disney Plus release. They opted to do that instead of cutting content because originally mm-hmm. they were going to cut content from Lady and the Tramp, Dumbo, and Aristocats. And they opted mm. to just put the plate on instead of cutting, which I think is much smarter. Deal with the head mm-hmm. on, address that it was an issue, and then move on. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, but dealing with that, especially because it was 1943 to then when home video was releasing. Now, there were there was a Canadian home video release that did happen. That is the copy that you can get on DVD is a rip from that VHS. I okay. believe it was. I believe it was like 1993. It had a limited VHS. And I believe the UK also got a release of Song of the South as well. Um, okay. So, but yeah, there were these. And so, but the other ones, it was weird because it was like Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Jungle Book, Aristocats. Um, these are Peter movies Pan, I would have never guessed on the list. 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. And I think it's because they saw that like every time Mary Poppins was re-released in theaters, they made like like 300,000 to $3 million in that time. Oh yeah. They re-released Mary Poppins in like 1987 and made an additional like three and a half million dollars from that release. So, and Mary Poppins. We all love Julie Andrews. (laughs) We stand, we stand. We love the queen of Genovia. We love her. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) uh, uh, Julie Andrews, please never leave us ever. I love that. She's like making during this quarantine. She's making content. She has a YouTube show and a podcast that she is. She's trucking right on through. But I guess you hit a certain age where when someone comes to you and goes, Hey, there's this content you can create from your own home. And she goes, I would love to, um, you know, I just, I feel, I feel, I feel like that's that, you know, but I think it's also awesome because we can keep, that means like I can have Julie Andrews read bedtime stories to my kids. And like, that's just really fucking cool. That's just really cool. Um, it is. And, uh, but I think all of those things of like, why Disney sat on this, but I'm interested to see, I would love for them to either do a, a second series or I'll look into when their, their untouchables list became a touchable list. And I'm wondering if it happened when 
Disney Channel used to be a premium channel like HBO. So oh, there were okay. no so there was original content and movies and no commercials. But it was a very expensive channel to pay for. And then in the mid 80s it transitioned into a or late 80s it transitioned to into a basic cable. So it came with a cable mm-hmm. package and then commercials happened. And I remember as a kid, every Sunday night, every Saturday and every Sunday night, they would show movies. That's how I saw Alice in Wonderland for the first time, because there is a 70, what is it? A 45 or 60 minute version of Alice in Wonderland. That's been whittled down. So it's 90 oh. minutes and they whittled it down. And so it's exactly 90 minutes with commercials. Right. Um, and so that one was on all the time because they used to do those things where, oh, it's a free cable weekend, plug cable in and you can get Disneyland for, you can get Disney Channel for free. And so I'm wondering if when that transition to, and Eisner had come in and they were looking for this, uh, I'm, I'm gesticulating the money, money, money fingers uh, for everyone at home since this is not a visual podcast. Could do a little ASMR. Just Ooh, Money. Uh, ooh, ah, money. Club 96. Oh, um, my God. For my Drag Race fans. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm wondering if it simply had something to do with when people, because that transitioned away from the Disney family no longer had someone in the uh, executive boardroom who was family. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it just oh. became it became an idea that let's put them on TV for people to watch it. So then we'll do a VHS release in a few years. And so instead of catching Peter Pan once every six months on Disney Channel, you can then have Peter Pan for twenty four ninety nine in your home. And, mm-hmm. you know, because that's also when the clamshell started. VHS yeah. were still twenty five dollars a piece. So like. And that's They're what I was money. so surprised by. Yeah, because I know mm-hmm. that, like, my collection so doesn't have everything. And mm-hmm. also, thank God it doesn't, because it doesn't, and it's still a big old collection. Yeah. Just, we we moved houses, and um, I think just my tapes took up, like, three boxes, which was wild. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, so I know that that's a thing. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great... It's a great thing because also you are giving it to kids who don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I had Return to Neverland too. I was, I mean, I could have sat in a movie theater, I'm sure, but I was like a young little baby. I would not have really wanted to sit in a movie theater. And because of that, I have like this loyalty to, to the brand that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And I mean specifically to the Peter Pan brand inside of everything. Right. Yeah. So this is so interesting to me because these are like lots of things I did not know about yeah. the distribution of the series. Well, and then it makes sense to me that shortly after this, let's see when that first, um, uh, the shortly after this was when the first, so 2008, six years later was when the first Tinkerbell movie came out. Um, straight to VHS or to home video. Let me rephrase to home video. Um, (laughs) And so then we would have one every year for like six years. One, two, three, four, five. Oh my gosh. So for the first six of them them, for the first three years, they were released once a year. And then they went to once every other year with the final one being released March 3rd of 2015. Um, Oh my god wow that's like this is so interesting why there is this very 
like real world around him Mm -hmm. but peter pan is not like the central focus and it so throws back to that tweety bird sassy girl thing that you're talking about well and then you also i want to bring up jake and the neverland pirates for disney junior where peter pan so peter pan and captain hook are not in every episode but like it's Jake is learning to be a pirate and suddenly pirates are good. Pirates are helping Peter Pan. Pirates are part oh my of God. Neverland. There's, I've never seen this show, but I remember seeing this one screen cap that kept floating around, which is like, a pirate does not take other people's things, which is literally the opposite of like being... That's exactly what a pirate is. That's exactly what a pirate is. That literally um, made me snort laugh. And, but like, it's one of those things that like, starting with Return to Neverland, um, because this movie made $115 million. Like, in Avengers money, that's not that much, but this movie only costs $20 million to make. You make $115 so million in the box office. That does not include home video or soundtrack. Um, or merchandise, which, I, God knows, Disney is the king of making merchandise on yeah. things. Um, it's not saying what their DVD sales were. Um... Yeah, that's why I was so surprised to hear that this was in the time of DVD because I have such the relationship to the VHS. Yeah. Um, and I do think that maybe that's because, like, for a kid's movie, I don't know if you would invest in a DVD. You know, right. like, I feel like the first big DVD I bought that was, like, a kid's movie was, well, I actually had Peter Pan that came out the year later, so that can't be true. Because I felt like my first big one was like Lion King or Finding Nemo. But those those are much later movies, so that can't be right. Finding Nemo was 2003. So Finding Nemo was a year later. That's crazy because the animation difference between Finding Nemo and this, well, they Pix- hold up in different ways. Pixar to Disney. So like, I don't think Disney, uh, yeah. outright, I don't think Disney outright bought Pixar at that point. Um but I think they were in the process of acquiring them. They were still doing their releases. They were doing the distribution for Pixar. Um, right. But Nemo, I believe, kicked off a lot of that, like, buying out of Pixar and putting them in the parks and mm-hmm. um, these these things. Yeah, it's weird. So it looks... Yeah, it was released on VHS and DVD August 20th of 2002. I bought it for my birthday. That is my birthday. Um, but apparently... Oh. It had terrible sales. It had absolutely awful home video sales. Well, um, I'm wondering what the cover art was, because I know you mentioned that earlier in the marketing. So Disney movies that are posters, Princess and the Frog is like the most beautiful, perfect example of this. The posters are gorgeous mm-hmm. and amazing and evocative. And then because it's not a poster and you don't re- know if it's Disney or a Disney rip off on the on the like video screen they're often like all of the characters on one thing in as many things as they can put together it's very like um if you look at the avengers endgame poster it's very that on everything but it's disney characters um yeah so i'm wondering if because maybe jane was i don't know was jane featured like equally or more than peter because that would be my guess as to why it maybe didn't sell as well i don't know yeah because it's also then when you've got it on a shelf it's different than having it on a wall in the hallway of a movie theater Mm -hmm. um it does say that they released a pixie powered edition in November of 2007 that had they call what they're calling the Peter Pan trilogy which is the platinum edition of Peter Pan Return to Neverland and Tinkerbell the first mm-hmm. film 
were released when Tinkerbell went on VHS oh. or DVD sales. Um, and then, mm-hmm. of course, in true Disney fashion, it was released uh, in June of, of August of 2013. Both films were released with this and Peter Pan as a two-movie set um, with the uh, first time on Blu-ray. And then it has just been re-released in June of 2018 for the Disney Movie Club, uh, both movies together. Um, so okay. I'm sure. So I'm sure that's why there is no actual home movie sales for this because it's convoluted because it then has to, in some aspects, yeah. combine uh, a triple pack and then has to combine a double pack. But sometimes that's the well, only reason why you have movies. Like, I think it's the only reason why I have Pocahontas 2 is because I got Pocahontas 1 with Disney <laughs> Movie Club and they were both included. The same thing with Mulan and Mulan 2. And mm-hmm. 100 and... There, are a couple, there might be a couple that I have the sequels to. Oh, Emperor's New Groove and Lilo and Stitch. I only have those sequels because of Disney Movie Club. Oh my and God. They, all, they, yeah. come bumbled, they come bundled together. Um. Well, that's also so interesting because... Uh, so... Peter Pan, you said, was on the Untouchables list. So probably a lot of people did not have that copy. So to buy a second, like a sequel movie for something you don't have a copy of probably feels weird, um, too. So I imagine that's probably why those bundles might have done better as well. Well, and I remember for a long time, people hated the idea of DVD one because they were $29.99 each when they came out. So that was a lot for in the mid 2000s. Mm -hmm. That was a lot for families. Um, and so what families were doing is like, we had all of the Disney movies up to a certain point on VHS. Then Mm -hmm. I, my parents did not want to put money into DVDs, but the first time a DVD player went below a hundred dollars, my dad was like, let's get a DVD player. (laughs) Um, and it was, I think that's what my mom did too. (laughs) And I remember us going to Suncoast video because Walmart had like, 23 DVDs. They had like 23 titles where Suncoast video had like fully invested in DVD because that was their, their thing. That was their brand. Right. And I think the Transformers animated film from 87 was the first thing I bought on DVD because it was, that. because it was a $15 DVD at the time. And mm-hmm. I love Transformers, but like we didn't buy the Disney DVDs for a long time. Cause VHS was still released until like 2005 or 2006. And yeah. so that we were still buying VHS when we could find them. Um, just to answer everyone at home, March 31st of 1997 was the first time DVD went commercially on the market. Ooh, and trivia. It, and it fully and it fully happened. It looks like full integration happened in the 2000 to 2003 was when we fully integrated into a DVD uh, DVD thing at home. So that's yeah. when people really started investing in. But that was the first time DVD ROMs were sold with computers. And so people were able to watch DVDs on computer and then they developed the DVD player for home as well. Um, so just a well, little bit I of do... trivia there. No, it's great. I, I I will be able to impress Alex Trebek now. Um, but uh, I think that's interesting too because I so I remember VHSs as a fixture very much, and then when they died, they seemed to die really quickly, and Blu-ray seemed to really try and replace them. But everybody had already bought this infrastructure for DVD, and we were by and large not changing, which is like just funny looking back that no everyone was like 
It's fine. We don't need a Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so, like, I moved to New York City in 2007, and the Virgin Megastore was, like, the thing to go to on my day off or, like, when I had time. I probably went to the Virgin Megastore, like, four or five times a week. And mm. um, it was so, like, most people had just gotten Blu-ray in the home 2002, 2003-ish. This was 2007, so not a lot. And Blu-ray was coming out, but then also HD DVD was coming out, which, oh of course, was a, was a separate player. And this is when the Xbox or the PlayStation 3 came out and the mm-hmm. Xbox 360 came out. PlayStation 3 had Blu-ray. Xbox 360 had the HD DVD. Well, PlayStation sold better and Blu-ray right. really caught on. But it was still a lot because Blu-rays, I remember those first Blu-rays, some of them were up to like $50. But it was because you got so much of the extra stuff and they were selling right. They were selling those, all of the extra things, so that it'd be like, oh, look, we you can put all of the Lord of the Rings um, extended on like cuts one on thing. one Blu-ray. Yeah. yeah. Your whole Harry Potter franchise, which wasn't even out yet, could live on two Blu-rays. You know, it was this thing that it was, so it was just the size of it was immense, immense. And, of course, Disney is always now... You know, we had talked about how they were that they rejected it. They're always on the forefront of selling new technology. They will be the first one. Mm. They're like, cool, this is the transition. I remember I was I had just gotten DVDs for uh, one of the first couple episodes of this, and it was an older release of DVD, probably 20, 2007, 2006 was the last time it was released, so they just kept making it. And it was the mm-hmm. first time they were selling, and it was like, I think the Blu-ray thing was happening and it kind of lined up with cars coming out on home video oh that sounds right yeah and so there was like this whole like and it was lightning mcqueen and it was this very sleek and sexy disney selling blu-ray like and these are the first four disney movies you can get on blu-ray so get them because you've never bought them at home before and but what was smart is they were selling those blu-ray combo packs where they were like well you can get it on blu-ray and dvd so you can have both so it's, I remember, it's one of those. Yeah, I got that one once. I think we bought it by accident. Was like DVD, Blu-ray, mm-hmm. and digital download. Mm-hmm. And I was like eight and could not figure out how to get the digital download to work. So I think I have a code somewhere in some house in some box, you know. But yeah, well, that's such a thing. Also, of um, people already still had their VHSs, so mm-hmm. having three systems to play your thing felt strange for a lot of people. I think so until VHS is kind of. You know, unfortunately, with age crapped out, then I think yeah. that's when people really started shifting their collections. I also think a lot of what happened, too, was when p- people moved out of their parents' house and they could, didn't get to take their, their Disney VHS with them in a lot of situations. Oh, that's totally they true. They then transcended and, and they went, oh, well, look at this sleek new thing. Like three, because like it's like three v- DVD cases are the, the width of one clamshell. So it's like one of those things that like, yeah, those DVD, those movies took up a lot of space on a shelf, but there's something so cool still walking into a room and seeing just like a wall bookshelf full of Disney clamshells, which if you go to your local Goodwill, most of the time you can just see tons and tons and tons of those Disney clamshells. If you still have a Disney VHS and want that nostalgia, um, it's a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so interesting also because a lot of my interaction with all of this was at Blockbuster Video, which we could walk mm-hmm. to from my house. Um, and definitely like seeing the progression of that and these these kinds of 
combo packs as well and mm. that thing becoming popular with kids because you only had to rent one disc um but you got two movies so even if you didn't really want that second movie you could get a second movie for free mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. yeah 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 absolutely well and like now that we're seeing a shift on now that we've got disney plus and so like this idea of is anyone ever actually kind of buy movies again like that's this weird thing of <laughs> I have, like, I've got five binders. I think I've got, like, 700 movies in them um, between them. And it's one of those things. And, like, that was me cleaning out. I think I got rid of, like, 200 titles last year when I moved Mm -hmm. um, to get rid of a binder. But it was one of those things that it was like, are we going to stop owning hard copies of media? And then we are, you know, it's this weird thing of like renting, even renting a digital copy of something. It's like you can download it long enough to have this whole thing. It's just so wild to me. Um, Digital ownership is crazy. Like I even went out the other day. Target had Frozen 2 for $12.99. You bet your ass I bought Frozen 2 for $12.99. I just bought Rise of the Skywalker because I have every other Star Wars movie on DVD. You bet your ass I'm buying that one. Like I want all of them. Well, I think you've just hit the nail on the head for a lot of Disney specific fans Mm -hmm. is that a lot of people are completionists in this group. Mm -hmm. It seems like. Um, so now that we've started, you want to finish a, Mm -hmm. and then B Disney very smartly is doing collectors editions or platinum editions, or Mm -hmm. like, I know that somewhere out there, there's some person with the original release of Peter Pan, the silver, the gold, the platinum, you know, and they've gone on eBay and found every version. (laughs) So don't call me in my little mermaid collection out like that. Hannah, how dare you? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, that only happened because I forgot to decline two titles on Disney Movie Club. If you're out there and you have Disney Movie Club, go log in and, and decline your next title. You're going to thank me. Um, Is that still running? I thought that they stopped. Oh, my God. No, nope, Disney Movie Club's still going, and it's oddly expensive in the days of Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I just, I can't do it. I, you know, especially when they offer me my Blu-ray digital combo pack for twenty four ninety nine. Or all, because I don't have a Blu-ray player, so, like, all I need is the DVD. And so, like, that comes with the digital code most of the time now. So I can go to Target or Walmart week of the release, and I can get it for a third of the price. Right. um, Or wait till Black Friday, and I go do those, like, three, six, and eight dollar DVD deals at Walmart. And I just fill in what I've missed in those last six months. So, you know, it's one of those things that, like... No, what were you saying? Sorry. Oh, no, I was, I think it's like you're saying that like this idea of completionist and there are some things like I bought the CD-ROM for my, my MacBook three years ago when I, or my, my, my iMac. Oh my God, I love that. And just, well, I was like, I have all these discs and I have nothing to watch them on. So this thing is $80 with my computer. But at that point we were still, well, we were still seeing the end of like software you like i could mm-hmm. still go out and buy an adobe i could buy the adobe suite on cd for the love of god um, and you could and just own it instead of having to buy it every year <laughs> matt and i I'm thought about this the other day <laughs> uh, i'm seething about it because i don't want to spend 200 dollars for another year of photoshop i hate it um but uh yeah yeah so it's that thing of i still want to own things or you mm-hmm. know a lot of movies that are not Disney, because contrary to belief, I love things that are not Disney. 
You know, Same. I'm really, I'm happy I own a DVD of of the first two Shrek movies and Prince of Egypt. You know, it's that thing of like, yes. I just, you know, there, there are things that are not always going to be on streaming. And I'm really glad that I have those. Like I have all the Robin Williams movies, which never go on streaming mm-hmm. or, you know, never. The, the, Amazon puts up the birdcage for exactly 12 and a half hours on Prime sometimes. And it's like, catch it for this, <laughs> catch it for this one afternoon or she's gone again for eight years, you know, or, you know, there are just some oh things more, there are just some older movies that I really like still owning the discs. Now there is that thing, you know, when yeah. we talk about the transition from VHS to DVD, it was rough because DVDs do not have the shelf life, pun intended, that VHS had. <laughs> Like a VHS, VHS still work. There are DVDs Mm -hmm. from three years ago that don't work. So like, you know, it's just, it's that thing that I can understand why parents were, while this did well, I'm sure a lot of parents were like, I don't want to sit through that movie again. And so then they didn't, or the kids, (laughs) or the kids weren't driven to see, you know, because a lot of times it's how, how well did you merchandise? Which I don't remember this mm-hmm. movie having a ton of merchandise outside of the Disney store. And Disney store is still not a common thing for a lot of people. And so, you know, it's one of those things of, was it because there wasn't merchandise? And this was still back when you had to wait six months to a year for something to come out on DVD. Yes. So like this came out in February. It was out on DVD in August. So that's like seven months to forget a film. Like, you can completely yeah. forget this movie. I'd say this movie is forgettable in six months if you are not continually reminding people that it's happening. Where no, now, I would say, happily, it echoes a lot of the story beats of Pan, with the, mm-hmm. with the large exception that we've mentioned previously. So, also, it's not even just forgettable, but it's very easy to be like, wasn't that in the first movie? Don't I already mm-hmm. have the toy of that? Um, so, that's mm-hmm. the other thing. Yeah. And, and so it's unfortunate because I do really like this movie a lot. Like I found myself, you know, I'm being, you know, you and I are both storytellers and theater artists. And so like what we do is kind of pick apart how a story is told or we pick things apart. And this is one where I sit there and I go, you know, it's fine. I enjoy this. I, I really like this movie. I will watch it again in a couple months, probably. This is a once every couple of months movie, or this is one that I gladly go, what do you mean you've never seen this movie? Okay, let's sit down and watch this movie. Yeah. Um, this is a good quarantine movie. I think this is for people who are watching through the Disney canon. This is something to not forget um, and that you should definitely watch. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, if you're interested in the history of the animation itself, it's such a good touchstone for where Mm -hmm. we saw things and where they're going. Because it Mm -hmm. it does have both... It's, like, so funny. I still think it's funny. I'm thinking about it now. Like, that ship. It's so great. But also, you're like, oh, we we know how to use a 3D model now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and especially thinking about that, like, looking at this and then, like, Treasure Planet came out, like, a year or two later in Atlantis. And it's, like, you can tell the difference between what Disney Toon Studios had utilized from Walt Disney Studios and, like, Disney Animation Studios and then, Mm -hmm. like, where Disney Animation Studios were. Because this was also in the heyday when we were getting Recess, we were getting Weekenders, we were getting... The Pepper Ann, we were getting these amazing Lilo and Stitch. Oh, no, not Lilo and Stitch series yet, because that movie had not come out until 2003. Um, But we were getting some of these great animated, like Disney had moved into the Disney Channel sector and the like one Saturday morning, a Saturday morning lineup for the first time. And so we had taken what we'd learned from that like Darkwing Duck tailspins 
of the mm-hmm. mid-90s, combined it with, like, what worked from Disney Toon Studios and, like, what they were doing in video gaming and things. Also, at this point, I believe... Hold on, I'm going to check. I love this. Um, yeah, well, it's also, like, I've never had... I, I grew up without cable, so even, like... They had this on the ABC in the morning. You got your Saturday morning cartoons that were Disney. So even like the populace of people who didn't have base, even basic cable, like could interact with it. So that's another facet of it as well. Well, and Hannah, do you know what was about to come out literally a month later? <laughs> no, tell me. I love it. Kingdom Hearts came out for the PlayStation 2, which, oh featured, which featured a Neverland which featured right. a Neverland sector. And so for me, I almost wish they'd waited till after Kingdom Hearts had come out because mm. they capitalized in that one because Kingdom Hearts 1, I don't care what you say, is the best of the three movies. <laughs> or the th- movies. The three games. games. Um, yeah. Because you could tell they had spent time on it in a way that wasn't the time they spent on three, but it was like developing this thing, which was really cool. Um, and it wasn't rushed like two. Um so but I have to tell you the secret, which is I've never played a Kingdom Heart. Um, that's fine. That's fine. A lot of people haven't. I've only played through Kingdom Hearts 1 and then watched people play through Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, for anyone at home, it is a series that was created with a Japanese company called Square Enix, who is mm-hmm. responsible for the Final Fantasy franchise. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. And, um, and so they made this movie, this, oh God, this game with Disney where you meet a boy named Sora and his mm-hmm. two friends, Riku and Kairi, who live on an island, who go to this mysterious place called Traverse Town and in this universe where Mickey Mouse is the king of everything. And mm-hmm. he... He is married to Queen Mickey, and you travel through these worlds, these lands, um, uh, accompanied by Goofy, your your uh, warrior, and Donald, your sorcerer, and you're yep. this kid named Sora who has to find the Keyblades. And so each world is a Disney movie, and there are Final Fantasy characters throughout. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure Hannah, someone is screaming. They are screaming well, at me right now. But this is like thing. from two people I that have not played. Main- <laughs> I have read the manga novelization of one of the games um, Wait, because that's it. the you child I was. <laughs> so I do get some points back for reading like two of the manga novelizations. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, um, and so you've got, so you know, Maleficent, Maleficent's your big villain and you've got Jan Sid, who is the sorcerer from from um, uh, Fantasia from the Sorcerer's Apprentice uh, short. And so Which they is really the one with did the their, buckets and the hats. Yes, that's the one with the buckets and the hats. It's, sorcerer, it's where we get Sorcerer Mickey. And so it's where Phantasmic comes from. And so mm-hmm. it's this idea that, um, you know, we have these two things, which is so interesting to look at Kingdom Hearts, look at Peter P- uh, Return to Neverland as these things that are like intrinsically of like why they chose to make Neverland. And it's a really hard, if I remember correctly, that battle for Big Ben is hard. Um, I in, believe you. In, in that world. And so... Um, It's one of those things that, like, it was intrinsically part of that first game, and there was, like, product that was released with that, and I'm pretty sure there was more Peter Pan and Sora merchandise than there was Neverland 2 merchandise. I'll tell you, that game has had a longer-lasting impact than Return to Neverland. Well, and so what's interesting to me is February is a weird release time, like a really weird release time for, Mm. um, for a movie. And so I think it's interesting that, like, they chose to release this in February instead of May or July. Like, to Which me, are this is traditional kid movie months because everybody's yes. out of school. 
And so, and now they're known, and this was still right before the summer blockbuster, the idea of a summer blockbuster started. And Mm -hmm. so, but this could have been, you know, 2002, this is just before Pirates was coming out. We had maybe gotten the, uh, and this is before we got in line, The Witch in the Wardrobe. This is before Disney was kind of recapitalizing with their live action. Um, We hadn't even had that Haunted Mansion disaster yet. So, um... Oh, the Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, the Eddie Murphy, yeah. Call back to episode one, Dolph of a Dream. It's still imagine. Yep. Um, but I just, I think that's so interesting that, like, they didn't wait to release this. But I guess for them, this had been on the idea of release for so long mm-hmm. that um, that they just wanted to get it out. Also, because it was Toon Studios, they actually probably didn't want to put much marketing and much product development behind it. And so, you know, this is- I... Such a good question of marketing and stuff that I wish I had done more research about um, Me too. as well. Well, and sometimes you can't even find that. Like I was I was on another podcast this week, uh, Screen Snark, check them out, um, where we talked about Onward and how I talked about how Disney didn't market Onward. They just didn't market it. <gasps> okay, and this is fascinating because I was in living in Japan when Onward was supposed to be marketed. Um and yeah, I didn't think they marketed it there, but I thought that was an Asia market thing. So this is so interesting to hear. Okay. No, there was, there's one poster up at Hollywood studios. There's like one banner announcing its release and they're putting all of this stuff behind soul, which is another Pixar. It's the first time we're getting two Pixar movies in one year. So I Crazy. don't know just all the things that moved around. I mean, soul is probably going to be a much later release now because we just got announced that like Mulan is being moved back. Artemis Fowl is just going to be Disney plus. Um, mm-hmm. Black Widow got moved all the way back to November, which means Eternals is now moved back to February. Oh, damn. So that changes I'm, everything. I always wonder where they decide to put, like, marketing and product development. Because also, there's only, like, eight toys for this movie. There's a, a, a run of plush, mm-hmm. four action figures, five Funko Pop, a couple books, and the Wizard Staff. Like, that's it. That's all in a miniature set. That's all we have out for this. And so, I, I'm, if I remember correctly, Return to Neverland was very much the same. We got more Peter Pan stuff in, like, Disney mm-hmm. Store, but we weren't getting new merchandise. Like, Well, this is so interesting to hear also because one of the arguably biggest visual differences between this movie and the first movie is there is no alligator. Um, we get this crawfish thing crocodile like lobster instead um who is way more goofy and way less scary than the alligator was so yeah. i'm like always wondering if that's like the alligator gave some ki- some kids too many nightmares and that's why he disappears like literally we do we're like Smee i think has like a one-off line that's just like the gator's not here anymore sir and then like we get this crawfishy looking thing um which is way more goofy and the sounds he makes are more goofy and everything um, so I wonder if he just wasn't seen as a, like a, like a marketable thing either, because that, I know that alligator has, is on a lot of Disney merch stuff. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. And he, um, and he now even like, because they, because we're not quite sure where in the realm of things, the Neverland fairies is in timeline. And so what happened was, um, they, uh, 
they've now made him a baby. We meet him as a baby. He gets hatched and Tinkerbell finds him. So Disney's done that thing where they're able to babyfy and they made a little baby plush of him. And of course I own it because his eyes are this big. He's this big. I love him. Um, His eyes are as big as his body is what Matt is just drinking. Yeah, Uh, they're this big. Um, And so I, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that it is. um, Ooh, yeah, it's a... it's this weird thing, and I will still, I guess, as we try and figure it out. But yeah, the octopus, I think they wanted something a little more zany. I'm not sure why. Oh, he's an octopus. But, um, that's what it is. They just yeah, call him octopus. a codfish. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it's the whole idea. Well, because codfish, for some reason, it's funny. And because um, even in Mary Poppins, you go, we're not a codfish, Michael. Yeah, and, they um, do. So I'm on this website called the DisneyCollector.se, which is the Spanish website. And so this (laughs) is also a lot of specifically Spanish made. Um, But there was a large merchandise push around the release of Return to Neverland on home video that is all Mm. from an old line called Disney Heroes from a Japanese brand called Tomy. Um, Which, if you you know, from your time that you spent there, I know you know Tomy. and it's called Disney Heroes, and it's just figure sets. You could buy the Darling House, and it was an open-up like dollhouse, but it was an action <sighs> set for boys. And then there are all these three or four figure sets that you could get with them that were the Lost Boys, they were the Natives, they were the Pirates, and they were there was a ship set as well as and um, Peter's um, thing. But all I am finding that McDonald's did a Return to Neverland. <laughs> release spot in 2002 oh, that's what um, i want the mcdonald's toys are always the best toys i swear and, and then tomi did because apparently return to neverland didn't release internationally till almost 2004 um Ooh. which can have a lot to do with it uh it didn't at least make it to japan and so they did a tomi line in 2004 that was just jane and tinkerbell flying um and they did a small set of figures and plush for that but i'm not oh. finding a ton of of uh, um, stuff. Uh, yeah, I actually yeah. don't know Tommy very well, but it does not surprise me that they would have sold Jane and Tinkerbell as a set um, from my time there and really like observed a lot of partnered stuff, um, whether that's friendship partners or like love partners. Um, so, for example, I forget her name, but Stitch has like a pink girlfriend and Angel. she's. Angel, thank you. She's not like super popular in America, but like she is in a show in Disney Sea. Um, she is like in all of the merchandise for Stitch that's not specifically tied to the movie. Um, so we have like Tsum Tsums, which Matt and I were just talking about off mic. Um, and there is a, a set of movable, poseable plushies in Japan called Newt. N-U-I-M-O-S, Nuimos, I think is how you say that. I have never heard anyone say it, so sorry that it's probably wrong. Um, but she was one of, like, the first things they released, which is, like, they. I think she got released before the Pooh characters, which is, like, crazy to an wow. American audience. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely not that surprising to hear that pair together. It's funny that you talk about that because I have an Angel Tsum Tsum. Uh, well, so she's cute and she was 75 cents on clearance at Target. So, of course, I was going to buy her. <laughs> I yeah, that's typically what you and I talked about. It's when we bought our Sims. But like this to me, it seems like an easily merchandisable film. Like it seems like something that I could easily merchandise and make products for. 
Um, yeah, I'm really surprised to hear you can't buy, like, the Lost Boy suits because I know you can buy a Peter Pan costume everywhere in the world. So that's, like, really... Mm-hmm. I'm so shocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what's interesting is we, you talked about what the cover looked like. So the cover was Jane, Peter, Smee, Captain Hook, and Tinkerbell. Um, oh. And when it was released on DVD, it had a huge white Peter Pan... And in smaller gold letters, return to Neverland underneath of it. And so this was then, you know, they did this. um, They did this with uh, the Great Mouse Detective as well, where they then rebranded it as the Adventures of the Great Mouse Detective. And so, yeah, like I'm on eBay right now and there are nothing. There's nothing but DVDs that you can buy um, from Return to Neverland. Which is really unusual. Um, really there are a few, a few people have the McDonald's toys, but it looks like, it looks like, because if it's going to exist, it's going to be on eBay. It will mm-hmm. be. Totally. Um, Good sentence. <laughs> there, if it exists, it's on eBay. There are only um, McDonald's toys. They're the only things that look like they were fully released with this movie. Was, mm-hmm. was, um, return, was, was, uh, yeah, there was. An American set and a UK set. The UK set, you could build the ship. And in America, they were just adventure toys. That's so cool, though. I love that. Oh, and in Asia. Um, Asia also got the... So this is really weird. Like, uh, why do you think they didn't merchandise this movie? Like, I don't understand why there were no dolls. If nothing else, why weren't there dolls? Well, I actually was just... While you were saying that, I was thinking that a lot of the merchandise I saw in, in when I was living in Japan, when Frozen 2 was coming out, I would say... 70% of it was Frozen 2 merchandise, but they they were pushing Frozen regular merchandise as well. So I'm wondering if since this was going, we I'm going to guess they thought this was going to be less successful, that they instead pushed or re-released additional regular Peter Pan skill, scheme. Oh my God, I can't say anything. Um, <laughs> Peter Pan merchandise, uh, skews. There we go. Um, mm-hmm. As a result, because also, right, product development does take time and money. So, and Peter Pan's costume is the same. Like, we don't have to do a new one for that. So I'm wondering if that's part of it. Though I'm surprised yeah. they didn't. I know Wendy dresses were a really big sell. Um, like, you could come and you are. could wear a little nightgown. So I'm surprised mm-hmm. they didn't, like, push Jane dresses. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. Well, and so this is interesting that we talk about this. So now, every t- so we had the Aladdin it's live so, action. Because, yeah. We, we've got the Mulan live action coming out. And what it has done is for Disney Store, they've gone, we're going to re-release retro lines of all the animated stuff. And actually nothing that's now themed in the live action with the exception of a couple dolls. Because both... Both mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin's doll lines have ended up in the clearance bin at every store they've existed in because uh, they weren't well made. Um, and so it's interesting now that they're using this as this point of, oh, we know nostalgia is going to sell better than this new movie is. So let's capitalize on nostalgia and sell new merchandise of the original animated characters. Mm-hmm. And so I'm surprised that they... I'm not surprised. I agree with you that I'm not surprised that they kind of did the same thing and used it as a thing to make boys action lines out of Peter Pan and, and the... Yeah, that's what I would guess. Um, 
And just like that, technology strikes, folks. I deeply apologize. The end of my interview with Hannah got cut off. But if you couldn't get enough of the two of us together, make sure you head over and check out our bonus episode where Hannah talks about her experiences living in Japan and visiting Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea, as well as my episode of Isolation Cast with Hannah. Hello. My name is Hans Martin Jr., your real movie critic. If you enjoy discussing upcoming movie news, looking at new trailers, and reviewing the year's hottest movies, then tune in to... Hey, hey, Hans, Hans! What? Are you doing the promo without me? Uh, yeah, I am. How come? Because everyone knows I'm the better host of this podcast. Oh, it's like that, huh? You think you can review movies better than me. Uh, I don't think I can. I know. Oh, we'll see about that. This is... The Real Movie Critic. Versus... The Cine Guy. Mondays only at CertainPOV.com. Or wherever you listen to your podcast. We're also on Spotify and iTunes. You're going down, critic. Bring it on, guy. Thank you for joining us for another serving of Dole Whip and Dreams. We are pleased to announce that we have a shop of magical wares and dreamy items via Teespring, including some seasonal items that are only available until June 1st. Find the link to that on our Facebook, Instagram, and in the show notes. If you use code DOLEWHIP, D-O-L-E-W-H-I-P, you get free shipping on all orders. That's right, free shipping for you all on all orders with the code DOLEWHIP. In June, we're going to be introducing some really amazing pride wear with all proceeds going to to a magically inclusive group that we will announce soon. Find us on Facebook at Dole Whip and Dreams Podcast, on Instagram at Dole Whip and Dreams, on Twitter at Dole Whip Pod, and you can support us for only $2 a month. That's right, just $2 a month on Patreon. Just search Dole Whip and Dreams Pod and we will be right there. And this gets you another exclusive savings code for our online store. And it also just lets us know that you like what we're doing Thank you, as always, to our amazing research assistant, Angela Gwynn, and our sound editor, David White. I couldn't do the show without you. Now, we'll be back next time, and may your days be filled with dull whip and dreams. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.